I never had the intention of building building this into a service at the beginning. This was just a simple thing for myself to make life easier, and that was the extent of it. As I used it, and I realized this is actually really cool, and like now instead of spending an hour or two a month keeping track of these things, I can do it in you know 15 seconds. Uh, that was that was like a real eye opener for me. And when I told my friends about it, it became clear that I wasn't the only one with this sort of problem, and other people wanted my script. So I slowly started transforming it into a web application that would allow anybody to do this on their own. My name is Brendan Wood. I'm the co-founder and CTO of Passive. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today how Brendan Wood created the tool to put your brokerage account on autopilot. All this and more on Code Story. Brendan Wood lives in New Brunswick, Canada, with his wife and three kids. They live in an old house, and from his purview, he has done way too many projects on it. In fact, shortly after they moved into the house, they discovered foundation problems and had to re-pour a new foundation, which is a massive undertaking. They have a cabin a half-hour drive out of town, which is Brandon's happy place. There's a beach, land, hammocks, and it's a place where the whole family can run free. He grew up in New Finland, and in college he studied mechanical engineering. This focus led him into robotics, specifically the kinematics side, and software development. All in all, he chose the latter because it was easier to start a career. One day, he found he had an itch to solve a problem while managing his personal stock portfolio. As his account grew, his risk tolerance changed and general shifts happened in the market, he found that keeping on top of his portfolio was a particularly time-consuming and tedious task. He got bored of doing this manually and built a script out of frustration for having to manage this. This is the creation story of Passive. Passive is software for self-directed investors to help manage their own investments. Uh, essentially, rather than giving your money to a robo-advisor or giving it to a bank and uh, allowing them to invest it for you, uh, we've built software to make it easier for you to do that on your own in your own brokerage account. So you can sort of think of it as um, a do-it-yourself robo-advisor where you have complete flexibility over how your investments operate, what your money is in, um, and how often you do rebalancing, all those sorts of things. This, uh, this got started as sort of like a personal itch for me to scratch. So I was doing this on my own. Um, I, started, uh, I started investing in a brokerage account probably seven years ago. And I was following something called the Canadian Couch Potato portfolio. So that's, uh, you know, there's essentially communities of people online who are um, into investing on their own. And rather than picking one or two stocks here and there, they sort of advocate investing in broadly diversified ETFs. And so this is, you know, this was an ETF portfolio that you would buy in your brokerage account and then manage on your own. And it's, it's pretty simple to get started. But as you add more accounts and as you shift your investments over the years and as your uh, risk tolerance changes, it actually ends up becoming a fair, fair bit of work to 
keep on top of these portfolios. It, it has to be almost like a part-time hobby that you're just going to keep on all the time. And the problem with this as a hobby is that it's not particularly interesting once you've got the basics down. It actually gets really tedious. So um, after a few years of investing, I had five or six accounts at my broker and just keeping on top of them, like, you know, I had contributions coming into these accounts every month. There were dividends rolling in from the different investments and I wanted to make sure I was fully invested, but also staying as close to my target as possible. And so doing that on my own meant having an Excel spreadsheet and uh, logging into my broker and looking up all of my account details and copying over current market prices and crunching the numbers to see what trades I need to make in order to keep myself allocated. And after doing this for about a year or two, it just kind of got boring. And I was like, Wait, why am I even doing this? It's a, this is tedious. And I don't really want to give my money to an advisor because they're going to charge me 1% or 2% per year just to do this relatively basic stuff. Um, but because it's so tedious, it's probably a good candidate for automation. And so that's where I got the idea of just writing uh, a simple script to start taking care of it. So Passive really started out as about a 50-line Python script that I wrote for myself over a weekend, just out of frustration of having to do this stuff all manually. Let's dive into the MVP. I think either it could be that Python script or it could be the next version, but tell me about the MVP, how long it took you to build and what sort of tools you use to bring it to life. It took probably about a year from when I wrote that first script until I turned it into something that other people could use. And it, it, I guess it's because like I never had the intention of building building this into a service in the beginning. This was just a simple thing for myself to make life easier, and that was the extent of it. But um, as I used it, and I realized this is actually really cool, and like now instead of spending an hour or two a month keeping track of these things, I can do it in you know 15 seconds. Uh, that, was, that was like a real eye-opener for me. And when I told my friends about it, um, you know, it's not like I got them all together and told them all at once, but you know, just casual conversations over the year, it became clear that I wasn't the only one with this sort of problem and other people wanted my script. And, uh, you know, that's where I started thinking, well, you know, are they really going to run a Python script on their own computer to do this, even if, especially if they're not technically inclined, or would it be better as a service? So I slowly started transforming it into a web application that would allow anybody to do this on their own. So it was about a year after I wrote the script for myself that uh, I had it built into a web app and uh, I was ready to launch it. And it was around that time that I found my business partner and we agreed we were going to work on this together and uh, see what we could do with it. Well, with any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs about you know, what technical debt you accept or what features you're going to cut out in the beginning. So tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to work through and, and how you cope with those decisions. Yeah, there's totally a lot of them. Um, my, my general ethos when I'm designing software or, you know, basically doing anything is that I try not to do things until I absolutely have to do them. So I want to try to keep it as simple as possible and manage the complexity and keep it as bare bones until there's a very pressing reason to do something. And, you know, there are a few exceptions to that. Like, you know, you want to make sure your security is top notch from the get go, right? You don't want to skimp on that. Uh, but, you know, as I was building out the first version of the app, um, the first version didn't even have user accounts. I thought maybe I could do this as um, a simple public-facing website where somebody could just um, type in their, uh, their um, I guess, portfolio um, 
and it would essentially remember that in the local storage of their browser and then it would sync it with live market data to be able to tell you what trades you need to place and like that was that was it so there was like no user accounts there was um, there was no like trading integration uh, it was all like super simple and what I learned from that is that you know people don't people didn't really want that I had that live on the internet for probably six months just kind of like sitting there and no one really used it and you know I didn't market it too much either but it kind of showed me that like you know this thing that I had built is it really that much better than a spreadsheet if you still have to manually type in your assets and you know I knew that from my own script the big benefit was going into my brokerage account pulling all that data automatically not having to type it in so that's when I was like all right I need to rethink this I need user accounts I need brokerage integrations with anybody who uses this um, in order to do that I'm gonna have to get some sort of API license agreement with my broker so it's not, it's not just a personal app anymore it's going to be an app that's made available to lots of people on their accounts and so um, that was kind of one of the early big trade-offs there I tried to do it the easy way and then realized no we have to take this a whole lot more seriously and go from there you started kind of touching on the next things to build, but I'm, I'm curious how you progressed the product from there and how you matured it and and also interested in how you built your roadmap, how you decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. So the roadmap mostly comes from, uh, from our users. So after I had launched uh, the app and in its first version where people could create accounts and actually, actually you know, link it and it would kind of handle all that stuff for them, uh, the single most important thing that people requested was the ability to place trades. So I didn't have trade functionality from day one. It was, it would essentially take your current holdings in your account and compare it to your target and crunch some numbers and tell you, here are the trades you need to make, go make those trades. But you still have to log into your broker and make those trades. And so a lot of the feedback we got was, this is amazing. I wish you just had a button that would click, that would, you know, place these five or six trades for me. And so that was sort of like the next big version of the app was building this thing we called one-click trades. That sounds super useful. Tell me a little bit more about the one-click trades, how the process was in building that feature. Because like I, I can imagine with any sort of magic button kind of feature that that sounds like, there's a lot under the hood. So without obviously revealing anything proprietary. <laughs> but tell me a little bit about that development process. Developing the feature from a technical perspective was not the hard part. The hard part was getting permission from the broker to have a trade integration on thousands of their customers' accounts where we're holding the keys and then they have to sort of trust us to keep those keys safe and not, you know, place orders without user consent and that sort of stuff. So there was the permission side from the broker and then there was also the regulatory side from securities regulations. Uh, at least here in Canada. So, you know, we're based in Canada. We got started in Canada. Now we operate, uh, you know, basically wherever. Well, we're, we have users in four, over 40 countries at this point. Um, we started in Canada and Canada's regulatory environment is relatively strict. And so we were in touch with our local regulatory body pretty much from day one uh, because they, they thought this looked like kind of an edge case where we might be giving financial advice and maybe we should have to register as... Um, a financial advisory service and so on and you know we ended up not having to do that but they still wanted to kind of keep tabs on what we were doing and one of the triggers for registration in Canada is um, I'm trying to remember the exact wording of it it's essentially dealing in the business of trades and so even though you know we're not actually the ones placing trades on people's accounts 
we are facilitating them to some extent, right? We're giving you a button. We're saying, here are the orders that are, we've got queued up for you. Click this button to go place those orders on your account. And because we're sort of intermediating that, that opened up a big can of worms where it took about six months to go through this, this process of explaining what we're doing and making sure that, uh, you know, everybody's on board with it um, from, you know, our, our own perspective, our user's perspective, the broker's perspective, and then the regulators as well. So we kind of had to get everybody's agreement on this and buy-in in order for us to be able to do it. Sure. No, that makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, I, I've spoken with the, one of the founders of Alpaca before, and I believe your product integrates with Alpaca. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They have uh, probably the, the best broker API that, uh, that we connect to. It, they, they've done a really good job at Alpaca. Absolutely. Yeah. It seemed like it's a fantastic product, but they mentioned that same thing, that it was really difficult to essentially get the approval to be a broker, or uh, you had to essentially be approved as a broker to do all of this. That's really, it's really interesting. It does make sense, but it, it is really interesting to think about that from a technology standpoint. Like that's, it's not the tech that's hard, it's the process. So let's switch to team. So tell me about how you built your team and what you looked for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you. The early team was just myself and my co-founder. We're both named Brendan. Um, so that made it kind of funny anytime we were <laughs> we were meeting somebody or introducing ourselves like, hi, I'm Brendan, this is my co-founder, Brendan. Um, so I actually didn't know him before we started the company. Uh, I'd met him only a few weeks prior at, uh, at a party at a friend's house. But he was one of these people where, you know, you meet the guy and you're like, all right, this guy is, has something that I'm missing. Um, despite him being an immigrant to Canada, um, he knew everybody. Like he was kind of like a bit of a social butterfly, whereas me, you know, I'm, I'm a little more introverted. And so I knew that I had sort of the tech chops and he had more of like the business and relationship side of things. And um, especially when we were getting started in the early days, uh, there was no, the, the stakes weren't high, you know. Um, this was a simple toy app that I had built for myself, and I thought, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we actually try to release this and see if people use it? And so I invited them to work on me with it, and it was in a very, it was very casual, you know? It wasn't like, hey, let's let's go start this business together and start hiring employees and do all these things. And we're like, no, let's just work on this together and um, see if we can find a way to make this work. And so we have a very comp complementary skill set, and I could tell that he was smart and um, had new things that I didn't had, you know, capabilities I didn't and so on. And so that's how that got started. It was about a year after that, that we hired our first employee. And the, the first employee, his name is also Brendan. So uh, for, for <laughs> a long while, there was actually three Brendans and we were the only people working for the company. And so our first hire was a, a software developer. And uh, essentially we hired, like the, the main criteria that I look for when hiring somebody from my team is their learning rate so all of the interviews and um, you know in the case of a developer like code tests and so on uh, they're all designed to give me a sense of how quickly this person can pick up new skills and figure out things when they're starting from zero and the reason why I like to filter on that um, particularly for you know a, a startup type company is that things change so quickly from day to day and roles evolve so quickly that you it's really important to have somebody who can just you know you can say hey go figure this out and they will learn whatever skills they need to learn in order to get the job done and then they will go get the job done and it makes everything so much easier when you have somebody with that mentality so i guess we we weren't hiring for expertise we were hiring for learning rate and that's um 
what we've done for the last few years. We'll switch to scalability. So how are you approaching scalability? And, and did you set out to build this to be scalable from day one? Or are you fighting this as you grow? When we started it, um, it was not designed to scale. It was not designed to work with multiple brokers. Uh, it was designed to work specifically with my account more than anything else. <laughs> you know, like it was, it was essentially evolved from the script that I wrote in a weekend to do my own account and everything was kind of like tacked on from there. Um, and as we were having success in the early days with the first version of the product that people were using, uh, we very quickly realized that if we want to do all these things, like if we want to support another broker, then we have a major, major task ahead of us because this was never designed for more than one broker. And even if we go and you know build another brokerage wrapper, it's not trivial to apply that to our code because all of our data models are built around this one broker's data model, right? Like we sort of designed our own data model to, to map almost perfectly to this one broker's API. And as soon as you have a second broker in the loop and there are slightly different assumptions as to how things work, it really forces you to go back to the drawing board and rethink things. So we actually did a complete rewrite, rewrite of our app from top to bottom in order to be able to um, move forward and support our second broker. Alpaca was actually the second broker we supported. And uh, we, we did a complete rewrite. We tore out the entire backend, we rewrote it fresh, and we did that with the expectation that we need this to be flexible enough to work with essentially any broker. I, I don't know if this is the engineer in me, but I love rewrite stories because <laughs> yeah. I know I know what is going on and why the rewrite, but I know it's a difficult thing sometimes to sell to non-technical folks, right? Because you know, in the startup, you gotta you gotta move quick, and so you take on technical debt. You build something fast and not to scale, right? But then then you gotta come back and make it work in a much more scalable uh, way. And a lot of times, you gotta rewrite. How did you go about that process of selling that? Well, there wasn't too much to sell because our team was so small. There were only three of us, and we hired this employee with uh, our first employee with the essentially the intention to do a rewrite like we knew this had to happen you know from the very early days and uh i i know that if you're going to do a rewrite it's better to do it sooner rather than later the longer you wait the more painful it's going to get the more duplicate things you have to build and so on right so if we had waited an extra year to do the rewrite we would have had to go back and re-implement a lot of things multiple times and so we said you know what we're the first version of the product is okay, it works. We know it's gonna take a long time even to get permission to work on another broker. So why don't we just focus on the rewrite as like the primary thing we do. And it took us about a year to get that done, which speaks to kind of like the, the scope of it. So you know, it, it didn't take anywhere near that long to actually write the first version of the app. In terms of total code time, it might've taken a few weeks to put it together as to something that someone could use. But re-engineering everything to be scalable and multi-platform and uh, work in a way that, you know, we expect will continue for the long term. Um, that, you know, just putting the thought into it and figuring out what that was gonna look like, that took ages. So it was, it was about a year in total. And we brought on a few people to help us with um, the, the, the front-end redesign was one of the big things that we were lacking because nobody on the team had, you know, deep front-end and design experience. So uh, we brought on a few part-time people to help us with that. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across what you've built with Passive, what are you most proud of? 
Uh, I, I think I'm proud of building a service that people trust. So when we were first starting the company and we first started promoting passive on, you know, personal finance boards and, you know, like we, we went right back to the Reddit community that I was involved with, you know, six or seven years ago where I learned to do this kind of investing myself. So like, well, this is a tool that was built for me, but it's also built for this board. It's built for the people who are here doing this kind of investing. And when we first started posting there, the responses we got were, uh, you know, absolute shock and dismay that anybody would be so callous as to build an app that would require access to your private financial information like that. You know, um, people, the general reaction was like fear and disbelief that anybody could possibly think this was a good idea to build, let alone um, link their personal brokerage account to some random person's app, you know, and give them the keys to the kingdom, essentially. So, you know, from the very early days, we realized that trust is going to be probably our biggest obstacle to overcome, especially in the early days before anybody's heard about us. And if you try to Google our name, you won't find anything, you know. And so we definitely overcame that. And it's, it's almost like it's not even a discussion point anymore. So when we, you know, when we talk about this on forums, when people um, recommend it to each other on these sites, um, very rarely does it ever come down to like, how can you trust these guys? Instead, it's more like, oh, well, obviously you can trust them because they are certified by all these different brokers and, you know, they've been around for years and all these people are recommending them. So they've got, you know, grassroots support of the community and so on. So th I, I would say that's the thing I'm most proud of, having overcome that very high trust obstacle originally. So let's flip the script a little bit. Brandon, what, what, tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I would say that probably one of the earliest mistakes we made was trying to do too much too soon. So when I was, when I was talking about the, uh, the rewrite that we did, we had, um, we were very ambitious as to what we wanted to do. I mean, the most important thing was to make it work with multiple brokers so that we weren't tied to one specific broker in Canada. You know, we wanted this to be usable around the world. But as we were doing that, um, you know, when you do a rewrite, it's kind of like a greenfield, right? Where you can go back to the drawing board and you can kind of be as crazy as you want because if you're going to do something, now is the time to do it. And so we had, a, you know, we had essentially a long list of features that we knew users wanted. And uh, we were like, oh, well, let's see how many of these we can also solve at the same time. And so that sort of took us down a rabbit hole where... Um, we focused on a few features probably sooner than we should have and it ended up taking like a lot of the wind out of our sails as a team because the features ended up being far more complex than we could have imagined and then they became sort of like blockers to everything else. So um, just as an example, one, one of the examples of this sort of feature is something we call asset class rebalancing. So the way that our app worked in the early days and you know still works today by default is that you choose uh, several securities that you want as a part of your portfolio, whether they're stocks or ETFs or whatever, and you assign a target percentage to each one of them. So you say, I want 30% of my portfolio in this security and 40 in this one and so on. And we use that as your target and the basis for calculating your accuracy and figuring out what trades you need to do. So that works decently well if you have a relatively simple portfolio, but what if you decide to slowly migrate your portfolio over to different securities that maybe represent the same thing, but you prefer a different one for some reason, but you don't want to go back and have to like sell all, everything because you know you take a hit on the spread when you do that. 
that's a pretty common thing that happens. Um, people are using one ETF for bonds and then they change their mind a few years later and just want to start allocating new money to a different one. And so over time, the complexity of your account can grow and you can end up with these things where you have two assets representing the same portion, like the same part of, the same, of your, your pie or whatever you want to call it. And so we wanted to build a feature that would allow that. And it ended up being, you know, it took us almost two years to release that feature. And it's not that, that wasn't the only thing we were doing, of course, but um, it was sort of like multiple starts and stops on this front because we would go to do it and then we would spend a month or two working on it and then realize, oh my God, this is like ridiculously complex and there's so many things that we hadn't considered here and how are we going to handle all these really ambiguous edge cases without giving people advice or without doing something in their portfolio that they might not expect. And um, so that gradually ballooned in complexity and you know every time we started up on it again, we would hit even more complexity and it just ended up being like a, a total boondoggle of a feature to release. But it's out there now. It took us almost two years, and you know it's it's really useful. It's, this helps for users who are a little more advanced. And you know one of the reasons why we decided we were going to do it was that knowing that people's portfolios become more complicated over time, we don't want people to outgrow our app. We don't want them to start using it and then you know two years later realize, oh, this doesn't do this this extra thing that I need to do now. It's back to the spreadsheet for me, you know? So it's trying, it's sort of like a long-term retention plan in releasing this. But, uh, you know, I feel like it was a mistake to focus on it so early. And uh, we spent a ton of development resources doing these things over and over and over again, because um, I guess it was too big for us to bite off at the time. And so we tried a piecemeal approach and, um, you know, it just ended up as something that kept getting started and stopped and delayed and pushed. Did any of that come out uh, after you finished it as a stronger product because you had to iterate so much? Definitely. Yeah. So if we hadn't iterated on it so much, I don't think we would have been able to handle all the edge cases that we do. Um, one, one of the key things that we missed in the early days was the whole aspect of prioritization. So if you have, if you have um, essentially like multiple securities in this, um, in your, in your bucket, in your asset class, or whatever you want to call it, so you would say, you know, these different securities, we want to, we want to treat them the same. Well, then how do you know which one to buy? And if you have multiple accounts in your portfolio, how do you know which one to buy in which account? Especially if you want to prioritize a certain asset in one and then a slightly different version in the other for tax efficiency reasons. And so we would have missed that completely if we had just sort of like forged ahead blindly and done it based on what would have worked for me personally, right? It's really talking to the users and understanding their use cases and the challenges they had and the things they were doing to realize, oh, we really need to support this prioritization thing. Otherwise, you know, maybe 50% of the people we're trying to target with this feature just aren't going to be able to use it. So what does the future look like for the product and for your team? Our product is pretty mature at this point, um, especially with the release of this asset class feature that we did a couple months ago. I would say we're largely feature complete. There's not a whole lot else that um, we really think needs to be baked into the product. Um, we, you know, we do get feature requests for things, but a lot of these things that we get requests for are more on the side of like picking stocks and taking profit and fundamental analysis and things that aren't really in the core. Um, the core vision that we have for the product. And so it's unlikely that we'll do those things, but it's, you know, it's, the product is mature enough that I don't think we need to really go back to the drawing board and do any major overhauls, at least anytime soon. 
So the big focus for us, at least for the next six months, is really just going to be polishing things, making sure the onboarding is smooth, um, addressing some of the technical debt that we have accrued over the years since the rewrite and so on. So that's that's where the product is going. It's basically going to become like more stable and uh, we're going to try to handle edge cases a little bit better and so on and just make it generally a better, more long-term product that breaks less often, right? <laughs> Not that it breaks often as it is, but, you know, from from a developer's perspective, it always feels like something's broken, you know? So that's where the product's going, but it's not necessarily where the business is going. Um, so this product is, um, you know, it's, it's the core of what we are. Um, it's what we wanted to build, uh, but it's not the end-all be-all. So what, one of the things that we've we realized while building this product is that uh, we had to solve a lot of hard problems to make this work. Uh, we've had to build brokerage integrations with trading functionality on you know every broker we support. Uh, we recently started supporting cryptocurrency exchanges as well, which have their own unique challenges. And uh, the reason why we had to build this is because there's no off-the-shelf thing you can buy that gives trading integrations to brokers. Which seems kind of crazy, you know? Like, you'd think somebody would have built something like this by now. And there have been attempts over the years, but nobody's really done a good job of it or stuck around long enough to um, turn it into something you can actually use. So we've built this internally, and it works really well for us. And um, being in the fintech space, we talked to lots of other companies that are providing, um, you know, services to traders, things that either help them pick better stocks or analyze their the fundamental valuation of their stocks or give, get social trading ideas or whatever. And the key thing that a lot of these apps are missing is the ability to make trades, especially without having to like open up a brokerage account at this one particular institution, you know. We firmly believe that you should be able to manage your, your investments wherever they happen to sit using software. So you shouldn't have to transfer your assets over to another broker just to be able to use a particular app. It should really work regardless of where your assets are held. And so that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're building. That's kind of what we've built as the foundation for our app. Our app is it's a fairly niche product. You know, you need to be into a very certain type of investing and have a lot of discipline to be able to use it. And you have to know what you want to invest in and so on. So it's not something that I think would ever go broadly mainstream, at least in its current form. But the the tech that we had to build in order to make it work is something that I think would be very helpful to a lot of other companies out there. So that's, that's what we're exploring right now is essentially building a developer API and um, allowing other fintech companies to integrate and use our API to help their users place trades. Let's switch to you, Brendan. Who influences the way that you work? Name a CEO, CTO, architect, really any person. Name a person you look up to and why. You know, back when I was younger, I used to look up to Steve Jobs a lot. Um, I really liked the way he approached products from a user-oriented perspective. You know, it was always at the end of the day, well, what's the user experience going to be like and how is this better than the other things that are out there? And so that's that's one of the early things that I took with me in building Passive. Uh, it was always focused on the user experience. And it's 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 been like one of our key competitive advantages uh, in this space because a lot of these apps are, they don't have a good user experience, you know? Uh, even the brokers themselves uh, are essentially designed for day traders. And if you log into their platforms, it's almost like they've tried to design them to be like 
uh, dopamine machines, right? Where there's flashing red lights and green lights and, oh, you lost money here, you made money here, quick, you better change your strategy and do something else. It's it's trying to induce you to um, make more trades, essentially, right? And I kind of look at it as almost like it's trying to push, it, it's trying to turn you into a gambler almost. And it's kind of sad that a lot of brokerage platforms have ended up that way, but I think it's probably to be expected when your whole business model revolves around people making trades. You, you're gonna you're gonna juice the thing that makes them make more trades. And so from the very early days, our whole product perspective has been like, this is the app for people who want a brokerage account but don't want to deal with that those sorts of shenanigans. And so I was very much inspired by Steve Jobs' focus on like a Zen type um, product experience for users. So that's one um, in terms of how I approach product. Uh, another one is um, uh, 37 Signals, and I, I guess they're called Basecamp these days, I guess. Uh, you know, I've, I've read the books by their founders, and uh, they really resonate with me in terms of a nice way to build a company and sort of be able to maintain control and be able to focus on what matters in your life. So like I mentioned earlier, you know, like I'm... I'm a father, I've got a family, and that is the single most important thing to me, is being able to spend time with them. My kids are really young right now. Uh, these years are gonna go by really quickly, and if I spend too much time focusing on a job or you know, chasing after moonshots, um, then I'm gonna miss out on these years and I'll probably regret it for the rest of my life. So you know, a lot of their writing is focused around how do you make a company, you know, not just work for yourself and your employees, but like, you know, enable you to have the lifestyle that you want without uh, becoming an absolute workaholic. And so that's one of the things I take to heart when building the company. And we try to instill that, that culture among our employees as well. One of the things that we like to do at the company is uh, take all of our employees on, uh, on the river. We do this a few times a year, like on, you know, a really hot day, we'll just like take a day off work and drive up the river, rent some tubes and float down it while, you know, drinking beer or whatever. And to be able to do, just take a day off work and do that in the middle of a work day is kind of incredible. I feel like most companies aren't able to do that. Well, we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? I feel like, um, I went all in a little bit too quickly on the company. So I, I think I mentioned earlier that when I started this company with my business partner, um, it wasn't it wasn't intended to be like a massive thing. It was a fun side project that we were going to do and see where it takes us. And so it was about a year and a half after that that uh, we started seeing some real traction and we were getting interest from brokers and we had um, a an enterprise licensing deal on the horizon and it looked like it was getting ready to blow up real quick you know we had this licensing deal and I had another full-time job at the time and I kind of had this moment of clarity where I was like I better go all in on this if I want it to work because I'm not sure I'll be able to we'll be able to handle this sort of contract um, if you know we only have one full-time employee and that's that's the one developer we hired right so you know I quit my job and went in at that point and I think it was too early because it took uh, much too long for that contract to actually close and then even after the contract closed it took ages for it to start to, to deliver and so that was a very difficult time for me personally um, because you know there was just so much at stake having you know 
left my job and now was going all in on this and I had personal money invested in it. We were hiring people, we were trying to build something and the revenue didn't show up when we expected it to, which, you know, like that's, that's one of the key learnings of starting a company is like nothing ever goes to plan, right? It's always going to blow up and go wrong somehow. Um, and you just want to try to get, keep accumulating the small wins rather than hoping that you'll get this one big thing that solves all your problems. And so I think for a long time at the early days of the company, uh, we were focusing too much on trying to get the big wins and not focusing on the little wins that would compound over time. Last question, Brendan. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I think I would tell them that it's the most important thing is to have the passion about what you're doing, right? So some people want to start a company because they want to be able to say they're an entrepreneur or they want to they want the glamour associated with it and so on and they you know they may have picked an idea that you know the first idea they came to that they thought sounded kind of interesting but without having a deep passion for the problem they were solving so i would probably try to figure out is this person passionate about entrepreneurship or are they passionate about solving somebody's problem you know like actually they have this solution for someone's problem and they want to go after it and this is the thing that really drives them. And and the reason why I would focus on this is because if it's if it's the former, if they're really more passionate about starting a company, then it's probably going to be difficult to keep your focus on this one idea until it actually comes to fruition. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to get the impression when you start a company that you know, oh, all you got to do is start a company and talk to a couple investors and you'll raise a million bucks and then you'll be on the front cover of the newspaper and you'll be hiring people and growth will be through the roof. And it's, it just seems so easy when you look at these stories on, you know, TechCrunch and all that stuff. And the reality for the vast majority of companies is that it's not that easy at all. Um, it's a long road. It's, it's a marathon rather than a sprint. And if you don't have the motivation to keep working on it even when the going gets tough then you're probably gonna see another shiny idea along the way and drop what you're doing and go work on that and so if you have that sort of mentality where you end up switching what you're doing so often you know it's possible that you'll you'll hit gold eventually Uh, but I think that the determination and the effort you put into it is probably the largest driver of success and so you want to make sure that whatever it is you're working on is something that you can put your heart and soul in. That's great advice. Well, Brendan, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Passive. Thanks, Noah. I appreciate it. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.